This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you're listening to another episode of The Crown Cast. And it's a Wednesday podcast where we actually get to talk about tactics that won a football game. And uh, here to be very joyous about that fact that we won a football game and be very joyous about talking tactics is Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, how's it going, Logan? I think one of my most critical questions for you is, are you more excited today to talk about winning or to talk about tactics? Winning, because I love winning. I love it when it's won through bad tactics and good tactics. Um, and we have not had a lot of wins to celebrate so far this year, and especially not against teams of Columbus's caliber. So would you like to take a stab at the percentage of people who I have asked that question to and have answered tactics? Uh, two. It is lower than that. It is zero. No one cares about the <laughs> tactics. And so that is what we are going to talk about because they're actually really cool. Um, no, we are obviously going to talk about the win quite a bit, but we are also going to talk a little bit about the tactics that made it happen. I think we go right into sort of the game talk here. I don't think we need mm-hmm. to, to you know, waffle or whatever they call it when people just banter back and forth too much. <laughs> uh, we have playing against uh, the Columbus crew, who I am going to preface this, is a team that we expected to smash Charlotte FC. Yes. Uh, I also want to preface with that I still made my prediction that Charlotte FC was going to win. Very glad that I <laughs> I stuck to my script there. But we come out kind of firing in the first half and inside of the first 60 seconds have a, a free header chance for Bill Tuiloma. Do you want to tell me about this chance? And in your opinion there, does Bill Tuiloma do what he needs to do? Yeah, so it's a, I think it's a foul within the first, like you said, minute of the game. Um, Vargas steps up to the the dead ball. We all know how dangerous Vargas is with that right foot of his, and he puts a beautiful ball um, into the box. And Tuiloma is really unmarked. Um, a, a thing that I think people overlook with Tuiloma is that one of the reasons he's such an attractive option at center back is because of his offensive prowess. I believe he had six goals last year for Portland. Um, And this is a chance that I'm always hesitant on headers because I think they're a lot harder than than we give players credit for. I would like to see him test the goalkeeper on this one. He is so open. It's such a good ball. Um, And I want him to force that goalkeeper into a more difficult save than just right into his chest it's one of those things where it feels like if it's either side of him it's good chance it's a goal um but it's definitely a warning shot uh for columbus and it's a it's a good start a really good start really dangerous start from charlotte and we haven't had too many of those this year so i'm gonna weigh in on this one and i'm going to repeat a phrase that has probably been beaten into the ground both for keepers and for strikers and uh, that is on headers. What I would expect him to do better is I'd expect him to either get the ball up or get the ball down. Specifically, mm. I'd expect him to get the ball down. Mm. Uh, the spaces sort of below a keeper's hands to the right and left of him are the hardest places to save uh, directly around the keeper's body. It's just awkward. It's so prevalent in football that coaches will regularly say, hit the floor and you're going to score with a header. And 
the reason is because you can almost hit the ball directly at a keeper. And if it's aimed at his feet to the right or left or her feet uh, to the right or left, it's really, really, really difficult to reaction save, right? The places where reaction saves are, are relatively easy to save is when they're right there at the height your hands are already sitting. Because um, all you have to do is move horizontally. You don't have to move vertically. I think from my perspective here, as free as he is, you know, I, I think it's a different statement if he's being pressured by someone, but he's mm-hmm. really not. I don't necessarily expect him to like hit a perfect shot angled with his head into the far post or into the near post. I do expect him to hit it to the ground. Okay. Um, that is really nitpicking, right? Like <laughs> that's that's me looking at Bill Tuiloma and going, hey man, here's a place where your game can improve. Here's a place where you can get that little bit better and that little little percentage of competitive edge over your opposition. I it's definitely not out here to be like, meh, this guy's terrible. Uh that's what I would like to look for going forward. We are not the only ones with chances. Unfortunately uh, we give up a pretty big chance. I think it's probably the biggest chance in the 20th minute. You want to walk us through this? Yeah, so it um, it, it kind of comes from seemingly Charlotte have good positioning around here, and the ball is worked by Columbus. Um, pass Burn into space, um, and there's just no one there. It looks like Burn is expecting either... Yuzhwiak or Malanda to be there to help him cover. Um, when that ball is played, Yuzhwiak's hands actually go up and he looks like he's yelling at his uh, defensive teammates, specifically Malanda. Malanda is rushing across the face of the goal to get out into the space. Um, Harrison Awful's hands are also up in the air yelling. Um, there just looks to be mass confusion. And I think what the most frustrating part of this is that this ball is to... Zella uh, Ryan uh, for Columbus, who is one of the best players in the league, and he is wide open to pick a pass, and he picks one that finds a teammate amongst four Charlotte players, um, and this guy is maybe I don't know a yard or two outside of the goal, and and Marks has a really good reaction save to get it. Similarly to Tui Lomas, I think it, it the ball is headed sort of at Marks rather than down and away from him um and so luckily marks is able to get it but just all around it's a confused back line and and team to me where there really were a lot of players to cover very few columbus players and yet they somehow still got an excellent chance off of it yeah i i am going to take a very different approach to this one than you have Uh, i think most of what you're saying is true i have a problem with marks in this and uh i'll be honest when this chance happened you know at that point in time we haven't scored yet and i thought here we go here comes disaster class right and that's probably unfair to marks because we haven't had you know time in time out examples of this but we had another example of a time where he starts to commit off his line Mm. And I think this is even out there on the the regular uh, highlights. If you want to just go find the highlights, I think there's a pretty good sideline view where he starts to commit off his line 
And if he continues off his line towards the ball, he's saving it easily. He's cutting that pass out. No questions asked. He's there way before anybody else. But instead, he starts to come off his line, stops, panics, and shoots over to the side and tries to defend it on his line instead of coming out and cutting it off. This is a problem for George Marks now. Like Mm -hmm. this is now a, it has happened enough times that there is a clear hiccup in George Marks's thought process that he does not trust himself to come off of his line and get a ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have just now seen it too many times where he starts towards a ball that is well within his ability to reach you know, I think this mm-hmm. one is probably within his ability to grab and hold on to, not just punch away, but as well within his ability to reach and instead panics and jumps back to his line and tries to reaction save. And his reaction saves are really special. He reaction saves this ball. But realistically, it should have been finished. Like, uh, I think, uh, I don't know exactly what their XG on this one is. But a huge portion of it must have been from this one. It should have been a goal. And we are let off the hook from something that, in my opinion, should never have come to pass. Am I being too harsh there, Josh? What do you think? Um, I don't think you're being too harsh because I, I do agree with you that I think one area of improvement for George Marks, and, and I think I think we should also say he's a young keeper who's getting his first real run of games as a professional. Um, so having rough edges, I don't think is, is, unex- is to be unexpected. Um, but I do agree with you. There are now a number of examples of him, whether it's misjudging the flight of the ball, or as you're saying, not being decisive in it, in, in his decision-making, whatever it is, as a goalkeeper, and I never played the position, but you always hear it, you have to command that area. Um, and I would I would like to see him be a little bit more decisive in the in these situations. Um I will say I have as much of a problem as, as you have with that. I also have a problem with Zellerion being as open as he is. That to me is my biggest issue with this, is because without Cucho in this side, the idea that you don't have eyes on on him at all times is inexcusable to me. And so to me, it's, it's not a case of should Marks come out and get it. To me, that ball should have never been in because he shouldn't be as wide open as he is. Um, but I don't think you're being overly harsh. I think it's an area that if you're being objective is something Marks is going to have to improve on. Yeah, and the Zellerian thing is the equivalent of Charlotte FC's maybe don't let Carol Schwederski get to his left foot and shoot. <laughs> like it, it's kind yeah. of it's kind of page one of the book, right? Um yeah. let's move let's move on here because I think that there are some really cool stuff or there is some really cool stuff that we can talk about with how we took over this game. With how I think in the first half we outplayed, we out we set up to outplay and then executed outplaying uh Columbus we let their pressure come. I don't think it was a surprise to anybody that uh, Columbus was going to come. They were going to attack in waves. They were going to throw a lot of bodies forward. And we kind of said, that's fine. Um, We found ourselves falling into a 4-4-2 shape, which I know a lot of people out there will have been throwing up their hands going, finally, we've been asking for a (laughs) 4-4-2 for 100 years. And it turns out we were all right. Um, that's harsh, but not unfair. (laughs) 
So, uh, yes, the four four two in specifically sort of a, a defensive. Everybody has their slot. Everybody has their role. We really took it back to basics as far as keeping our lines together, not getting spread out from the defense to the midfield, which I think has killed us a lot this year, where mm. the defensive line is so far away from the midfielders that there's no way for them to escape pressure. And there's no support. There's no first line to protect the defense. Uh, anyway, alongside of all that, what we did was when we came back into our box, once we had set our defense, we set it in a way that said our box is ours. And you can have the wings and you can have the top of the box. And we're going to go pressure you when you're in those areas. But our box is ours. And the moment you try and throw anything into our box, it doesn't matter if you've put six people forward because we have eight people, right? And one of them is Derek Jones. <laughs> we said, we, we made it very clear what space was ours. And then we gave up what I call trap space, right? We specifically left an area for the ball to be passed to knowing that they were going to pass there so we could take advantage of it. We let them attack our wings. And I say we let them attack our wings. They managed to attack our wings, whether it was by design or whether it was by the fact that our you know, right back and left back are not particularly fast. Either way, we gave to an extent on our wings. And then we let them pass the ball back to the top of the box in the middle. At that top of the box, it looked like there was space to be held, space to hold the ball and take a shot. What was not planned for was the rushing power, the strength of Enzo Capetti, and the finesse of Karol Schwederski. I am raving about Karol Schwederski right now. Most people who have listened to this podcast... Stop the pod. Stop yeah, the stop. pod. Just stop right now. Everybody, clip that. We're done here, right? <laughs> I'm not even raving about the goal. I'll rave about the goal later. But what happened is, instead of being in a flat 4-4-2 we split into a defensive 4-4-1-1. We told one of those two guys, and it rotated, so Columbus had to adapt to multiple options. We told one of those two guys to come back and use that area just above the box as a trap. When they try and pass it in there, you run in and nick the ball away. Take it right from their pockets, right? Right when they think they're, they're set and they've got their eyes on the goal, you reach into their pocket, take their money. And Enzo Capetti... And Carol Swiderski did an amazing job of it. So proud of both of them. But what it allowed us to do is it allowed us to break in lines, right? We've talked about this a thousand times that the game is played in transition. Enzo Capetti gets into that space between our box and our halfway line. Not where you would normally expect to see Enzo Capetti, but he would get the ball there. And his hold-up play, his ability to muscle a defender off and just say, this ball's mine, you're not taking it, allowed the defense and the midfield line's time to break out into offensive formations. They were rushing by him up the field, mm. which meant as those lines were running by him up the field, Enzo Capetti had six different options, right? He had, mm -hmm. he had central midfielders who were running very close to him for easy touch passes. He had wingers, fast wingers, on wings that were basically abandoned. I mean, if you look at some of the chances that uh, Kamal Ujwiak gets, there's nobody out there. 
because they've mm-hmm. committed all their players forward on the wings. And he had Carol Schwederski, or vice versa, Carol Schwederski had Capetti up top in an almost one-on-one with their last line of defense. There were so many places for the ball to go, and all of these places were progressing forward, right? None of them were mm-hmm. running back at our goal. All of these places were uh, moving with intention to create threat, and it worked a lot. I mean, it worked <laughs> so many times that I have it written on my notepad in like big scribbled letters about this 4411. And what amazed me about it was that it was so simple and it was made so deadly by the combination of Capetti and Swiderski, right? Yeah. Swiderski used his trickery, he used his skill, he used his talent to spin players to one touch around midfields. Capetti used his hold up. And that creates a different problem. And I really think it gave us uh, such an advantage. Do you, did you see a similar thing in this? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I wasn't not able to go to the actual game and and I was watching at home and I don't think that, you know, going back to your point about sort of allowing that space on the, on the wings from the broadcast, you don't always get a good view of what exactly is happening. So it kind of just looked like, we were getting beat down the wings. Um, but I believe you in what you're saying, and, and that is a an intentional thing. What you could clearly see, though, is what you're talking about with Swiderski and uh, Capetti. And, and I have to come to Capetti's defense a little bit even more strongly, I think, than you have, because I thought that this was his by far his best game in a Charlotte uniform. Um, I've still seen people online talking about how he wasn't that good or, or blah, blah, blah. Enzo Capetti, I thought, dominated the defenders of uh, Columbus with his holdup play. And it's reflected in the stats. So when you look at these stats, he tied for the team lead in progressive passes, which is passes that are actually moving your team towards the opponent's goal. He tied for the team lead in shot-creating actions, which are actions that lead to a shot on goal. He was a focal point consistently throughout this night. Um, and honestly, you could argue that he should have had two assists because his ball to Swiderski later in the game that I'm sure we'll, we might touch upon something should have happened from that, right? Swiderski kind of misses that opportunity. There's another pass that he makes to Ben Bender, where I think Ben should have taken a better touch to get into a better, uh, shooting position. Enzo Capetti, I thought was really, really, really good. And the same with Swiderski. We have been, you know, you you also alluded to this. People have been clamoring for a two striker system, um, and I've been reluctant to to clamor for it personally, just because I didn't really think that Latanzio was going to do it. We did it this game. Maybe it was because Columbus, we knew they were going to come and dominate possession. Regardless, it worked, and I really hope that Latanzio looks at this game and looks at how well. Capetti and Swiderski played off of one another and goes, how do I keep that going moving forward? Because it has to continue for this team to have success. Yeah, it was really fun and really special. And I mean, that's, that is a a combination for this team that I can't say we, excuse me, we have, you know, been able to rave about, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that in all of this talk, we have to acknowledge that speed on our wings is a problem, specifically Mm -hmm. in defense. 
Uh, I think yeah. it kind of worked to our advantage because of the way Columbus was willing to throw 27 people into our box and <laughs> leave minus six to defend, right? I think yeah. it kind of worked to our advantage that we were able to sort of leave a trap space and we didn't have to win, win the battle on the wing. Right? Mm -hmm. We could lose the battle on the wing and just pack our box and be fine. But I don't think we were winning the battle on the wing. Harrison Awful, uh, you know, I've raved about him. I have raved about him in a madman sense. I have <laughs> raved about him in a depressed sense. I have generally just been sort of raving. And I think one of the things that we, we have to come back to is he is not going to be able to beat a runner on that side. Mm -hmm. And whether we like it or not, Nathan Byrne, not a speedy guy, yep. right? Uh, I, I think that if this team wants to get out of playing in this really, really deep set system, we're going to have to answer these questions. And I think we did a good job of covering for some problems that we knew about, mm -hmm. which was one of my first questions, right? Uh, you know, a couple times ago, my thing to look for is, can we set up a defense that makes sense? <laughs> Good news, we can set up a defense that makes sense. Does it mean that eight people are literally stacked in our box? Yes, but we were able to set up a defense that made sense, that gave our players a chance to, to use their abilities, right? To, to mm -hmm. win the battles that they, are, they get engaged in. And in the battles we knew we weren't going to win, give up space that wasn't dangerous. Great, great, great. I, I just don't think that we can avoid the fact that that we still have this problem. Specifically, there's a chance in the 33rd minute. Do you want to talk about this one? Yeah, it, it's it's just a simple cross uh, into the into the back post. Um, and awful gets beat. Really, I wouldn't even say for pace, but more for acceleration. Um, and, and that's the thing about Harrison is he he knows, I think, where he should be. But, and this is not a surprise, he's 36, the physical attributes just aren't there to keep up anymore, right? That long distance pace isn't there, that short uh, distance acceleration isn't there. Um, luckily, nothing really comes of it, but it's one of those things where I think if Columbus had been a little bit smarter and hadn't fallen into the Charlotte trap of, of what you were alluding to, Logan, we might have been in danger because... Um, I think we're seeing that if you can put a pacey or explosive person on awful, he's going to get beat. And again, I don't think that that's a surprise. I'm really not trying to knock Harrison off, off this because I don't think that this is something that he can necessarily help. But the bottom line is we're going to have to continue to find ways to, to cover that up because deadlines come and gone. We have not brought in another left back. Um, and it looks like that's kind of going to be his job to lose. Um, let's move on then. We'll go to the point where we do a really, really good. And uh, <laughs> an alien robot uh, impersonating Carol Swiderski comes down. And we have confirmed that the real Carol Swiderski was uh, on a like Mars vacation mm, while his insider. robot scored a goal. Yeah, insider information here. Uh, because it was taken first time on his right foot for one of the most beautiful shots that may have ever been hit in history. Is that, <laughs> uh, I, th I think that's fair. Oh, uh, yeah. Put it in the Louvre. 
Put it, put it in the frame. It find a way to frame that moving picture. And uh, really, I it was a beautiful moment from Carol Schroederski. It and was. it was a moment that a lot of us, you know, we raved about it a little bit in the uh, post react. If you really want to hear us talk about the goal, you can go check out the post react. I wanted to give, you know, I want to mention it, but I want to give him his flowers today for everything else he did. Mm-hmm. not just the goal. And it's still so good that I have to bring it up again because <laughs> of how sweet that strike was. And let's not leave out Kamal Yuzriak, who, just like we talked about, had all that space on the wings, right? Because mm-hmm. we let them push up the wing. So he's out there in, I mean, acres of space and does not do the thing that's so tempting to do of, you know, hitting a ball to a good area. You can see him look up. You can see him pick out uh, Schwederski, and he hits a picture-perfect, perfect pace, everything ball on it, and Carol, uh, Carol shut me up, I think is the <laughs> right way to say it. Carol, Carol Schwederski, I will never doubt you again until you uh, don't one-time a ball on your right foot. Uh, it's a very, very temporal, temporary non-doubting system, uh, but it, it was great to see. Uh, do we want to talk about the use react header? I think it's probably worth discussing. Does that need to be on frame? Um, I will say I, I want it to be on frame. I did look at the stats for it. I think it's only like a 0.01 XG. Um, it's something where I think you want him, but I also think it's taking a deflection and it comes at him a little bit unexpectedly. I would like him to get it on frame, but I'm really just not that that set about it. Um, I do quickly want to say, though, on Carol's goal, there are two things that I want to quickly point out. One is a fantastic ball from Tui Loma out to Yuzhwiak. Um On broadcast, I thought that he was passing to Enzo Capetti because that ball was hit so sort of flat and curved that it looked like it was going to Enzo. And it's just a really, really well hit pass. The second thing is that Enzo Capetti, another example of things that don't show up in the stats, he occupies both of the center backs on that play. And that's the reason Swiderski is allowed to come in basically unmarked into that box. Um, if you're a Columbus fan, you're yelling at your center backs about this, but I really do think that all they had eyes for was Enzo in that moment because of the threat he could offer. Um, so I just wanted to quickly give those two their props for that because neither of those are really going to show up in the in the in the box score, but um, but both really good parts of that goal. That's a really good shout out. Um, we go into halftime one zero. We go into halftime leading. I think we all went into halftime feeling like we had been the better team, mm-hmm. and I, I cannot stress enough how much going into a break feeling like you've got it down is just life-saving for the team right it's one of those things where you can be you can be two three goals up but if you concede right before that break you you get the chance to sit on the yeah but we didn't put it away you Mm -hmm. get the chance to sit on the but maybe they could come back right by us getting into halftime one zero we get the chance to sit down and talk about the fact that we're in control of this game and now we execute our plan. And I'm going to ask, well, that's, 
I'm going to come right out and say it. The plan in the second half was not a surprise to anyone. It was the most basic of football. It was park the bus and do not let them score. And we executed it well. My question to you, first and foremost, Josh, is are you happy that Charlotte FC parked the bus for a 1-0 win at home? Um, yes. Um, and I know a lot of people aren't going to want to hear that. I, I think it's just because when I looked at this team, and by this team I mean Columbus, I don't think we can overstate the fact that they came in to this game second in the league in goals. They scored 18 goals. They put six past Atlanta. Um, they are really, really good offensively. And I actually think that this was Latanzio showing a little bit of growth as a manager in the sense that we did not try to get possession from them. They dominated possession. I think they had close to 70% of the ball, probably more in the second half. And I think what he said is, we need a win and we need a win at home. And if we continue to try to op- have things opened up, we're, we might concede. There's a good chance that we're going to concede Columbus score. So is it the most exciting football that you're ever going to watch? No. Is it something that I want to see game in and game out for the next 5, 10, 15 years? Absolutely not. Um, but for a team that is struggling and that wants to turn a season around, this is a statement win. And if this turns our season around in three months, we're not going to remember that we parked the bus. We're going to remember that we won 1-0 against Columbus, and that started this run of good form. Yeah, I think I live pretty similarly in this place where I don't necessarily like the mentality, but I do like the execution and I like the understanding, Mm. right? I have always said on this podcast, I want to play in my opponent's box. Mm -hmm. I want to play in my opponent's box because if somebody makes a dumb mistake, you get a goal. Whereas if you play in your box and you make it and someone makes a dumb mistake, they get a goal. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a very simple thing, but in this instance, this team was going to flow forward, right? Yep. They were going to present a midfield challenge that would have been very difficult to overcome. They were going to win the wings. Mm. They have speed on the outside. They were going to be able to cut the ball in. And even if Harrison Awful and um, Nathan Byrne had absolute barnstorming games, they were going to get beat a couple times. Mm-hmm. We set up in a way to win this game. And as much as it's not what I want to see for the, you know, the, the long-term success of Charlotte FC, it proved to me a couple of basics. It proved to me that Christian Latanzio can set up a system to win a game, mm-hmm. which is obvious. It proved to me that these players are capable of working together. And it's, it's weird to say that, but it is true that these players can come together and achieve a system. Because one thing that does not work <laughs> is a low block system where nobody's in their correct place, right? <laughs> that, that falls apart really fast. Basically, Christian Latanzio took out the, the individual dual aspect of the game And he took out the running duel aspect of the game. And he Mm -hmm. said, if you want to hit a ball in the air, good luck getting by Derek Jones. 
good luck getting by a deal to Melanda. Good luck getting by Bill to Iloma. If you hit a ball into the area, you have seven people, eight people mm-hmm. who are all right there congested in their positions. And it is going to be very, very hard to get through that. And something that I like that he did, I really liked this, was we have seen in previous games where he pushed the left or right back up the field mm-hmm. and the remaining three became a back three. And we saw something very similar to this, but instead of pushing the right or left back up the field, he just let the right or left back go outside, right? Uh, left back, you go chase down the player who's running to the byline and the the other three will become a back three but they'll become a really, really narrow back three in front of the, the keeper. And we're not pushing the left back up. We congested that space in a way that made it almost impossible to get through. And we did it as a team. Mm. And I am really, really, really glad to see that. Um, you know, my answer to my own question is no, I don't particularly want to see this football <laughs> again, but I am glad to see the process that gets us to this football. The final question, Josh, on this game before I think we start to look ahead mm-hmm. is uh, VAR saves us. I, uh, I love VAR. I've always yeah. loved VAR. Yeah, VAR. I, I think we can proudly say that we've been supporting VAR with with everything that we have for all of the time that that VAR check was going on. <laughs> um, it was technically offsides. And technically, yes. technically correct is the best type of correct. I do think it, it deserves to be shouted out again that I have criticized the back line for not being able to hold a line, mm-hmm. not being able to hold an offside trap for a significant portion of this year. At the end of this game, what saves heartbreak for Charlotte FC is we have a perfect line. We have an almost flawless offside trap line. And here is a cut and dry black and white example of why good defending matters, right? Yeah. They got their lucky ball. I'll be mm-hmm. honest with you in a whole half of defending. I heard numbers like 91% possession being kicked around the media box in a whole half. They were going to get a lucky ball. And finally a lucky ball bounced around in the box and it broke for an opportunity. And you know what? It didn't matter. Because we held yeah. a good defensive line and that player was offsides. So yeah. good on him. Well done. Uh, I think that we should move along because we have played another game. We did play the Gold Cup. Uh, we had a 4-1 win over Tormenta. U.S. Open. Oh, US, US Open. Open. Excuse me. Um, the too US many Open. cups. <laughs> too many cups. Too many, too many games. Um, <clears throat> we did play the U.S. Open. And we had a 4-1 win over Tormenta. I do believe that it's safe to say that we probably needed to beat this team for one. Um, my understanding yes. is that they are third division. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, now they were the, ch- I believe they said during the broadcast, they were the champions of the third division division last year. Um, which... So roughly the same level as a high school team. <laughs> yeah. um, no, that is, that is disrespectful to Tormenta. Um, I think they lost a lot of people, though, because I think that's how that kind of works. You know, with no promotion, you sort of if you win the in the lower leagues, your your guys get picked yeah. uh, for for a slightly higher league. So but still, this is a team we should have gone out and slaughtered. Yep. Politely spoken, we slaughtered them. I think there are some other 
things that we need to talk about in this match. Uh, specifically, I think we need to talk about Kamui Yuzhwiak in all the good and potentially all the bad. He yep. hits the opening goal in this in a very acrobatic and beautiful highlight reel shot. Um, how proud are you of Kamu that he hits, I mean, essentially a bicycle? I I was watching the game, um, or the, the highlight, I should say, of it. Um, and when that ball comes off his foot, my first reaction is, there's no way. And then you rewatch and you go, oh, he met, he not only does the ball come off his foot that way, but I, I really do think he is he's it or most of it anyways. Um, you know, he's he's trying to loop that ball over the keeper, I think, into that far post. Um, it was sort of out of nowhere, I think. And it's another sign that I think that the dam has kind of broken with with Kamal. He needed that one goal and all of a sudden the confidence looks like it's back because I don't think uh, I don't think Yuzhwiak of last July attempts that kick, um, but he did, and and it it was it was great. Yeah, uh, he he destroyed it. It was really really impressive. It was a beautiful moment. Um, I, you know, we we talk about them being a third division team. They're still a professional team. Mm. Getting that goal in any professional competitive fixture is a highlight real moment. It's something he'll remember for a very, very long time and uh, will probably be on a lot of YouTube clips. Yeah. So, so good on him. I do think we have to talk about the fact that despite the fact we destroy these, this team, we take some, some real penalty for playing in the U S open. Do you want to talk about the injuries? Yeah. So uh, unfortunately in uh, early in the, the first half in the, about the 20th minute, uh, Bill Tuiloma goes off injured um, and then just a few minutes after he scores his goal, uh, Yuzhwiak also goes out injured in the 35th minute. Um, the, the report's coming out. There's no definitive reports about anything that's happening, but it looks like both of them might have suffered a hamstring injury. The last I've seen is that there's some MRIs that have been um, scheduled for them. Uh, Camille was able to walk off the field. It's a, you know, better than being stretched off, but. Um, this could be costly because, you know, I, I know people have not been enamored with Bill Tuiloma, but he is a, he's a good player and he's a, he's a good player in a position where we don't have a lot of depth. And then obviously with the Yuzhwiak, you hate to see a guy who is just really rounding into form pull up. You hope with both of these that it's nothing too serious, maybe a game or two. Um, but it is always one of those uh, issues that you can have in a cup game where if you play your starters, you risk your starters. So I think one of the questions I have here is, is there, should there be, because I think there will be whether they're showed or not, should there be blowback on Christian Latanzio for this? Uh, in my personal opinion, I, I don't think so. Um, I, this club to me is not at a point where we can look at these cup games and go, we can throw out our B team and beat these guys. Right. Um, I just think, do you want to actually make a run in the cup or do you not? Additionally, this is a team that is not firing on all cylinders we can say. And so I think that there's a really real idea of momentum being carried over from a game like this, where you expect to score goals. And in this game, 
Yuzhwiak, Enzo, and Swiderski all score a goal. And you want that to give them confidence that carries over into MLS. In my opinion, you play the guys. Um, injuries happen in sports. You can't plan for them. It's unfortunate. You hope they're not too serious. But I, I just, I'm not too upset with him going with that lineup. Yeah, I think I fall on the side here where if this had been a team that had won, you know, like seven of its games already, mm, yep. then yeah, we need to be playing our B team, right? But I think that there's a difference between an Arsenal or a Manchester City or a Real Madrid going into a cup game and going our finely tuned, you know, been playing together, have everything in sync, players are good, let's give the kids a chance and not risk the, you know, the people who are out there to try and win, you know, their respective mm -hmm. leagues. And then there are teams who are in cups because it allows them to fine tune who they're becoming, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Charlotte FC is a team who needs to fine tune who they're going to be. They <laughs> need to figure out their attacking structure. They need to figure out how they get the ball from the wings to dangerous areas. They need to figure out how they're going to progress the ball through the midfield. These games give you the chance to do that. And these are professional players. They sign up to play these games. Yep. Right. My opinion on this one is I think if I was Christian Latanzio, I would have said where this club is at, it needs a win and it really doesn't need a loss. Let's go out there. Let's blow these guys off the pitch. And if we are four nil up or three nil up with 60 minutes gone, we take the big boys off and we let the kids have a run out. Unfortunately, Kamal mm -hmm. Yushwiak gets injured, injured in the first yeah. 30, first 40 minutes. Yep. <clears throat> so I, I, I don't personally have a lot of blowback to Christian Latanzio for this. I think he used this as an opportunity to further his team. And I think, unfortunately, injuries happen. So, um, not great. And like you said, especially not great for Kamal Yushriak, who I really, really do believe was turning into one of the bright spots of this season and could have gone supernova. Mm -hmm. And potentially even less great for Bill Tuiloma, who, no matter how you feel about him, was a stopgap for a stopgap. Mm -hmm. And that means that that position is not exactly flooded right now. Let's talk about what this could mean. Um, I think in the Bill Tuiloma position... There is a guy who technically plays for Charlotte FC called Jan Sobochinski. Sobochinski. Sobochinski, uh, yep. Yeah, Sobochinski. Uh, I, I, I don't know anything about him. I've never seen him. I'm not sure he's a real human <laughs> being. Uh, yeah, let, let's be honest. Jan has been waiting for his opportunity to kind of make his mark in the team. Is this a place where you think Jan could come in and not necessarily nail the role forever, but mm -hmm. get back into the mind of um, the manager. Or do you think this might be a place where somebody kind of unexpected, maybe a Hamidi Diop, gets called into position? I will say that I think, I hope for, for Jan's sake that this is a chance for him. I am, I'm a believer in Jan. I, 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 the little bit of, that we saw last year, and it wasn't a lot, showed me that I think that there's a player in there. You know, I, I think he has some good distribution skills. He He's tall. He looks strong. He looks like he's got some good pace to him. Um, and he's still young, especially for a, a center back. What I will say is 
I don't know how long the leash is going to be for Jan. If he does get his chance, I'm really hoping he he goes in there and he just does a solid job to begin with, because I think that's how he gets more playing time is not to do the flashy things, not to do anything crazy, but just to go in there and be solid um, and be a player where Christian Latanzio goes, okay, maybe there's not that big of a drop off between him and Tui Loma. And maybe he actually provides a little bit more stability. I will say the little bit I've seen of him at the Legacy, I've seen some good, I've seen some bad. I think that's to be expected when you're playing um, with new players around you and, and, and you're still finding your feet in a lot of ways. I don't know that I necessarily expect him to nail down a start. But also, I didn't see Adilson Milanda nailing down a start either uh, last year, and he came in and was really good. So, you know, I, I hope that he gets a ch- chance, and, and for our sakes, I hope he takes full advantage of it. So so I did see Adilson Milanda getting a start, I'm very proud to say. <laughs> um, I, I was one of the, well, I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't necessarily because I thought Adilson was going to be the the world-class player that he appears to be. Um. I thought he was going to be pressed into service before he was ready. I thought that, mm-hmm. you know, this is a position we'd struggled in. We'd already lost players in and that Adilson Milanda was a kid who wasn't going to be ready and was going to get forced to play there and potentially harm Adilson Milanda's career. I was really worried. And it turns out I was worried for nothing because he's a very good footballer, right? I wonder if we're going to see another situation like this with potentially Brandon Cambridge. Brandon Cambridge is a kid who has come into the crown legacy and he has blown the doors off the crown legacy. He looks like he's playing children. I mean, he gets an assist and technically a red card in this last game. Uh, Final few minutes. <laughs> two, two, two yellows, correct? Um, uh, yeah, second yellow. <laughs> uh, but this is a guy who has consistently shown he can beat a man on the wings. This is a guy who has consistently shown he has speed. This is a guy who has consistently shown he can shoot and a guy who can consistently deliver balls into dangerous areas in the box. And in this situation, if that right wing is vacated by Kamal Yushriak due to injury, basically we're looking at Mackenzie Gaines, who at this point in time is pretty out of favor. I mean, I think it's fair to say, is there a chance that, you know, another young kid gets pressed into service here and do you think Brandon Cambridge is potentially ready for uh, a role that will have a lot more weight on him? Uh, you know, it, it's so hard to say because I, I he's so new to the professional game. I will say I think that Gaines is going to get a, a crack at this if, if usually I cast a missed time, I, I think. Um, you talk about superpowers a lot. What I've seen from Brandon Cambridge, what has blown me away consistently when I watch him play, either with the legacy um, or this past game, is that when the ball is at his foot, he has an explosive burst by his opponent. Um, And it's a weird thing because normally when you have the ball at your feet, your opponent has the advantage because they're not dribbling, they're just running. And he has this acceleration and this burst of pace that um i think will translate to higher levels i don't think that this is a case of him taking advantage of less uh physically gifted uh people at a lower level 
maybe to some degree. I mean, he's not going to be able to run away from everyone in MLS. But that is something that I think immediately can pay dividends in MLS. Because if you're playing on the wing, we've seen it with Mackenzie Gaines. You can have success to some degree by just being fast. I think that the difference in, in Cambridge, as you alluded to, is when you do watch the legacy, I believe he's on like three goals already in the legacy. He appears to be able to finish. And when he gets into dangerous positions, he appears to be able to pick out a path. Um, I, I don't want to get too excited because this is a young kid and I, I think it would be unexpected for him to have a huge impact on the MLS club this year. But of all the people that I've seen so far at the, at the Legacy, if I had to put my money on someone, it would be Cambridge. And especially, again, you know, when you have that opportunity, sometimes that's half the battle is just getting the chance and that that might be presenting itself to him. Uh, yeah, I'm going to make my point on this much simpler than yours. What you have done is <clears throat> you've talked about a lot of logical things that make sense, and I'm going to ignore all of them, and I'm going to jump right off the deep end. Let's start the parade, <laughs> baby. This guy is good. Um, there aren't that many players I've looked at at a really, really young age and just gone, that guy's going to be a, a killer. Uh, Brandon Cambridge is going to be a killer. I am... Uh, I have a firm belief that if you're good enough, you're old enough. And I think he's good enough. And I'm not saying he's going to come in and instantly run the game, right? I yeah. think he's good enough to come into this team and be a part of the team mm -hmm. moving forward, to mm -hmm. create for the team, to, to uh, be involved, to be a part of the play, to be looked at as one of the group. And who knows? Maybe he comes in and just destroys uh, uh, left backs. I have to flip the field here for a minute just destroys left backs <laughs> all day and, you know, becomes this supernova thing that, you know, we hope the ball players will be. But I think this guy is good enough to move up. I have seen him enough times now that he looks like he's playing kids at the lower league. And I'm excited to find out whether or not that that transitions to a higher league. Obviously, you never want to see someone get injured, especially not potentially our most dangerous attacking threat at the moment in use react. <laughs> but I do think Cambridge has to look at this as an opportunity where Lady Luck is is giving him a bit of a chance to go and prove that Mackenzie gains his old news. And I think he's got the talent in his boots. Uh, 20 goals just, confirmed. Got it. That's yeah, what I'm hearing. 20, 20 goals confirmed in only what's left of the season. He didn't have to play the first part. So. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move us along because this is going to be a long one to all of you out there who are putting up with us geeking out. Love you. Um, let's talk really quick about DC. Yes. So DC is ahead of us in the standings. However, on the bright side, they have allowed more goals than they've scored. Um, so DC is a, DC is a weird team because I actually think they have some underrated attacking talent. When you look across this club, you have a guy like, and I'm going to butcher his name, but, uh, Taxi Archis Fountas, who came over last year and scored 12 goals for them. Um, they went and they got a kid from Nottingham Forest and Lewis O'Brien, uh, to come over. They got Klitsch from Leeds United to come over this year. Um, they have some players who can give us trouble. The one guy that I'm going to be paying attention to, though, this game is going to be Christian Benteke. 
And any Premier League fan out there will recognize the name because he was around for a while. Um, there was a time when he was thought to be one of the next big things. Uh, some comparisons to players like Romelu Lukaku. It never really panned out that way. He does, though, have four goals on the season this year. And what really kind of worries me is how many issues we had with Klaus with St. Louis um, earlier in the year. And for me, Benteke is in that same mold and probably a little bit better. He's a little bit more mobile than Klaus is. Um, and so this worried me before the Tuiloma injury. Um, it worries me even more because you have a guy who is hugely experienced at the highest level of competition who could potentially be going against a 21-year-old center back in Adilson Melanda and a 23-year-old center back in Jan Sobaczynski. Yeah, looking at Christian Benteke, I mean, obviously has played for Belgium. Yeah. Uh, Belgium is world-renowned for being a pretty okay football team. Uh, they have one or two of the of the people who are all right at football, and uh, he's definitely seen he's seen the game at the highest level. Um, I mean, actually, I have it here that he was at Liverpool for a while. Uh, so this is a guy who could potentially be really threatening, and it does obviously then lean into the fact that we have now lost another center back. Um, yep, it really it really is remarkable the way in which lightning seems to strike that particular position on this team. But um, as far as us going forward out to them, I ask this question every time, where do you feel like our threat's going to come from? So I think that unlike Columbus, DC is not a team that wants to keep possession. They, they're a little under 50% with their possession statistics. So I think that we need to strike a balance with what we did with Columbus against a team that we're going to have probably a little bit more possession with. But I think if we can employ um, Enzo and Schwederski in a similar way that we did against Columbus, I don't really see a reason why we can't have success against this team. I don't think that they're as good as Columbus. I think we can take a little bit more chances against them as well, because I don't think even though they have good attackers, I don't think they're quite on Columbus's level. And so I think if we can um, dominate the ball maybe a little bit more and get the ball to Schwederski and Enzo more consistently than we were able to, I think that we could see similar chances created against this team. Um, and again, they've allowed more goals than they've scored, so it's not like they're a defensive powerhouse. That is fair. I am going to go ahead and talk about my thing to watch for this game. And that is my thing to watch is going to be whether or not we can continue to flow forward against a team that is not going to put all 11 of its players in our box. Right. Mm. Can we still find a way through the midfield when we have not broken through eight people with the first pass? Uh, yeah. I think that's going to be a, a, challenge for us i don't think it's one we have succeeded at particularly well this season i think it's something that we need to see succeeding going forward and now that i have seen a defensive line that can hold shape i will be expecting it to do that and see how we move the ball from that base of the of of the team really let's 
uh, go into some news before we wrap it up here. Uh, obviously, it has been reported that Andre Shinyashiki is on his way out. Uh, essentially, the reporting at this point in time says this is all but done. Uh, I don't know who forgot to sign what piece of paperwork, <laughs> but apparently Andre Shinyashiki is all but gone to Real Salt Lake. Um, this trade kind of came out of the blue. There has been a lot of talk in sort of back channels about the fact that Andre has not been particularly happy at Charlotte FC, but the fact that he was not training up to standards of Crystal Latanzio and about the fact that the two were not exactly uh, uh, friendly with mm -hmm. each other uh, up across the board. Uh, I think that we saw him and Nuno get singled out in the presser recently. And it appears that at least in Andre Shinshiki's case, this is serious enough that the team was not shy about moving him on somewhat hastily. Uh, all, all but done. I think the talking point here might be Nuno. And uh, Josh, do you feel like Nuno is next on the chopping block based on the presser? Or do you feel like there might be some more more leniency with Nuno? You know, I, I think the fact that Nuno survived the deadline, I guess you could say, yep. um, that has to that gives me hope. I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this. It gives me hope that he's going to have a chance to come back. I am still a very big believer in Nuno Santos. I can't speak to what's happened behind the scenes. I hope it's nothing that he can't come back from. I hope bur br uh, bridges haven't been burned. I think he can add a lot of technical quality. With all that said, um, it's not looking good right now. I, I think anytime you have a player of his stature because again this is a guy who has played for benfica who came over um you know with good publicity anytime he's sort of relegated to playing for the legacy and and then not in teams i don't think that points to to a future necessarily um but crazy things in football happen i know we talk about arsenal a lot on this pod but granite jaka looked like he was about to be thrown out of arsenal a few years ago and he's come back into the good graces of fans um little different circumstances but i hope that whatever talent is there in nuno um we can we can get some of that because i think it, there's a lot there yeah i think it feels like a situation where there's always technically a way back but at this mm -hmm. point in time it feels like it would be a long way back yep um let's move on to the adam armor news uh <sighs> there's news that adam armor has uh been has looked to have been traded to Atlanta and that has fallen through. Um, most of the word we've gotten out of Adam is pretty good. Uh, you know, when we've talked to the coaches about Adam, they seem to have liked Adam. We have on record some dozen times with Christian Latanzio talking about the fact that he really likes how Adam attacks the ball, that he sees him as a presence that can make an impact in the attacking side. Christian Latanzio seemed to like Adam Armour, and now supposedly Adam Armour is halfway out the door. Yeah. Thoughts on how this is happening? Um, my thoughts are mainly confusion. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I look at this, and my, 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 my reactions are, okay, 
does Adam Armour fit the kind of left back that Latanzio seems to want? Probably not. I also look at it and I say, does he fit the type of left back that Atlanta United, the team that he was connected with, um, fit? Absolutely. They love to have their, their fullbacks bomb down the sidelines and, and attack. So on some level, those connections make sense. What doesn't make sense to me, though, is our left back options currently are a 36-year-old and a 31 or 32-year-old. And Adam Armour is 19, I believe. Unless this club is sitting here saying they are never going to play with a fullback who goes down the, the left side in a traditional way, I don't understand this. To me, it seems way too early to give up on, on someone who appears to have as much talent as Adam Armour does. Um, again, maybe there's something behind the scenes we're not privy to. In my opinion, this just doesn't make sense um, whatsoever. I, I think that he's oozing with talent, and whether you get him on as a left back or a left midfielder or a winger or a wing back, I, I ju- it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think the question that it makes me ask is about his health. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the, the first ever goal scorer for the club. Uh, we know he's got a fire in him. You know, uh, we've talked to him personally in the past, obviously before all of this. And his response has always been, I'm ready. I'm ready. I want to be out there. I want to be training. I want to be running. I want to be going. I want to be playing. I want that ball. And that's kind of the mentality I would expect a 19-year-old hungry to, you know, make his career to have, right? Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if the recovery of the injury is just not going the way it's expected, whether they're just experiencing repeated complications, because he's been out a long time now. I mean, let's not forget, this guy got injured at the beginning of last season. So I wonder if Charlotte FC has just said, look, this guy could be really talented. He could be something special. But we don't have time to sit around and wait on a guy who could be something special to heal in an undetermined amount of time and take up space on a roster when we want to bring in other players, right? If I'm he going has to new- playing time though at, at legacy. Yes. He has gotten some playing time at legacy, but like, I wonder if there's still something that they're worried yeah. about in the background. And like, if I am Charlotte FC and I'm going to another left back and I'm saying, Hey, you're the guy I want. I want to bring you in. And they go, yeah, but look at all of what you've invested in Adam armor. Right. Am I, am I actually potentially a third choice? Because you're going to keep playing the people you know for a little bit, at least until I bet in. So I'm going to have to to take the spot from them. Am I then trying to take the spot from a 19-year-old superstar who you've waited two years to get on your pitch? Uh, this is all very, very soft, right? Like, this is us looking for reasons. Yep. Um, when we get more to the reasons, we'll let you know. But uh, for me, this one came a little bit out of the blue. And I'm not really sure what the process is other than apparently it's the process that is happening. Uh, any final news you want to touch on, Josh? No, just that I hope because the deal fell through that, again, similarly to uh, Nuno, I hope that over the next stretch of weeks, months, whatever, um, Adam proves him wrong. I hope he's healthy and I hope he has that chance. All right, this one is definitely a long one, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. 
If you have decided to spend your time with us, we love you. If you'd like to find us online, you can find us on Instagram at the underscore crown underscore cast. You can find us on Twitter at the underscore crowncast. You can find all of the amazing stuff that is done in the blog by Josh and Ewan at crowncast.net. And on all of that, we will talk to you again after we go and take our next three points from DC United. Goodbye. Queen City Podcast Network.com.